0: Good morning once again. Grab your Bible and open up to Micah chapter 6. We're going to be focusing in this morning on the one verse, Micah 6 verse 8. But We are going to be all over the scripture today, so be ready to follow along on the screen. And if you'd like to, if you're, if you're ready, you can tap along on your phone or open up your Bible to the different passages as we focus in this morning on a difficult subject, a controversial subject, and something that, as a preacher, gives you a little trepidation to talk about. Um, And that's nothing unique to me. It's always been a difficult subject going all the way back to the prophets of old. And so, like most Sundays, we're gonna begin with prayer. And this morning, particularly feeling our need God's Word to speak clearly through His Word and through the Spirit who speaks to us as the Word is proclaimed. So let's pray together. God we do come to you this morning and we ask that you would give us clarity, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe what you have For us in your word. And Lord, we pray that this word would not be void, but that it would take root and that it would produce fruit as it goes into the hearts of each person here. Lord, I pray that faith would be given out freely. Even now that faith would be given out freely, that we would receive what you have to say to us today from your word. God, meet with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Bennett Middle School. Bennett Middle School. I know I got anybody else from Bennett Middle School or William J. Clark Middle School. Okay, just one. That's all right. Connie, yes. Bennett Middle School. I want you to go back to when you were in middle school, seventh grade. And, and maybe your middle school was like my middle school, because about every day from anywhere on campus, you would, you would hear these words being shouted out across the schoolyard, fight, 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 fight. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Fight, fight. And you would look, and you would look. Now, who, who had a middle school kind of like that? Anybody else? No, nope. a couple of you did. All right. So, so when, when you heard those words, the, the crowd would start moving in that direction. And everybody would gather around wherever the fight was happening. And now I was, I was you know, trying to be a good kid and not, not run after the fights and stuff like that. But I like to go and see what was happening after it was all done. And so, so I remember one day in middle school, I think I was in seventh grade, there was a fight. And this was a bad fight, because this fight, actually, the ambulance had to come. This was a serious fight. Nobody was killed, but he was, he was hurt pretty bad, apparently. And I walked down to the corridor where, where this fight had taken place, and some kids had taken some of that Uh, some of that rock chalk. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The rock chalk, it's like everywhere. And they had taken some of the rock chalk and they had drawn an outline of of a boy's body on the ground making light of what had happened that this kid had really gotten. He had really gotten hurt. The world longs for justice but that ain't it that ain't it. I asked somebody, what were they fighting about? And I remember distinctly that this person said this, he stepped on that boy's shoes. He stepped on that boy's shoes. That's what that fight was over. Foolishness. The world longs for justice, but that ain't it. In 1955, Emmett Till was only 14 years old when some men from the community abducted him, beat him, mutilated him, and shot him. And they said, what did he do? And they said he was talking to a white woman. He was accused of flirting with her. And The men were found not guilty. The world longs for justice, but that ain't it. That ain't it. After the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer in 2013, a movement began rallying around the phrase, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, a, a phrase, a truth that had been denied for so long, a basic truth, a truth of God that had been denied for so long, and, and so there was this rallying cry of Black Lives Matter, and you see it even today. We have uh, uh, even a banner in the back of our Uh, gym area that says these true words black lives matter but soon after that rallying cry began back in 2013 a political organization hijacked the name black lives matter and what they did is they formed an organization whose purpose for one thing was to restore black dignity and to that we can all say amen But if you look into their political agenda, you will find things that are concerning to Christians. For one thing, they have a a purpose of promoting Marxist ideals, which is a form of government involving theft. And and they're promoting LGBTQ uh, centering, promoting voices like that. And so I ask, well, they even have a a statement that says that their goal was to disrupt the nuclear family structure. To disrupt the nuclear family structure. That is Black Lives Matter, the organization. Who hijacked the truth and turned it into a political machine. The world longs for justice. But that ain't it. That ain't it. I told you this was going to be a light sermon today. The world longs for justice, brothers and sisters. And I want you to hear this message from God today. God is sending the world you. The world longs for justice. And God is sending the world you. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are sent to fulfill this longing that the world has for justice. This is why God redeemed you. This is why God forgave you. This is why God has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's called you so that you can go into the world and do justice. It's what, our, it's what our, our motto at our church says, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. That is what our motto is, and that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To do justice. And so today we're going we're gonna to look into the Scripture, into Micah 6-8, and we're going to ask the question, if the world is longing for justice, what is it? <laughs> what is it? If this is not it, right, if this is a distortion, then what, where is the clarity? And we got to look to God's Word to find the clarity about what is just. Micah 6, verse 8 says this, "...He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The world longs for justice." And this is it. The world longs for justice. And this is it. The Bible talks about justice. Uh, I think the word is used in the Bible some five or six hundred times. I mean, it's all over the Bible. And, and, and it's, it's used in three distinctively different ways. And we're going we're gonna to look at those different ways that the word justice is used. And God calls us to all three of these ways. All right? The first one is this. When we do justice, we do what is right. When we do justice, we do what is right. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, God is calling Abraham out of darkness and into his light. And here's what God, the commission that God gives to Abraham, it's on the screen behind me. Genesis 18, verse 19, God says, For I have chosen him, this Abraham and his his crew, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household. After him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he promised. All right, so God's whole purpose for Abraham is that he would lead his family and his household and his crew, he would lead them to do two things. What are they? Righteousness and justice. And these two words, righteousness and justice, often go together in the Bible. You can't have justice without righteousness. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is doing what's right. (laughs) Okay? And it's defined by what God says is right. That's why pushing uh, homosexuality is wrong. Because God says it's wrong. Now, that's not popular. Right? Uh, You can get censored for saying that. This sermon may get taken down from Facebook, for all I know. But we have to say what God says. Is right. And so God says, do justice, and that means do what's right. And you know what's interesting in the context of the scripture, when, when God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to do righteousness and justice, you know what happens right after that? God says, I am going to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's in the same chapter. And he says, I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah because the outcry of their injustice Right? The outcry of their injustice and their unrighteousness has come up before me and, and I'm done. It's time for justice. It's time for what is right. God is going to make things right. Sometimes God enters into the world to make things right through intervening like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham is saying, look, God, I understand your wrath, but it ain't like you to do what's unjust. And God's like, hold on, what, excuse me? And Abraham says, just hear me out, hear me out. And Abraham says, look, Lord, is it right for you to to kill the righteous along with the unrighteous? And the Lord says, okay. Abraham says to the Lord, if there's 50 righteous people in this city of a million, if there's 50, will you destroy it? God says, nope, I won't. Abraham starts doing some math in his head and he thinks, you know, I'm not sure there's 50 righteous people in Sodom. And so he says, what about 40, Lord? What what if there's 40 righteous people? Actually, he says 45, then he says 40, then he says 30, then he says 20. And then he says, Lord, let me just, just one more time if there's 10. If there's 10 righteous people in Sodom, will you destroy it? And God says, for the sake of ten righteous persons, I will not destroy it. That's how bad it was, y'all. That's how bad it was. And when God sent his angels to Sodom, the world world of Sodom was overrun by sexual immorality. Uh, The book of Ezekiel tells us that they were full of pride, that they didn't give to the poor. They, they, They were selfish. They were greedy. Sodom had uh, Democrat sins because they were pushing a homosexual agenda. And they had Republican sins because they were pushing capitalism and, 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 and greed. All right, we got, we got both sides of the aisle in Sodom. All right? Nobody's left out. And God destroys Sodom. Yes, Lot barely gets out. But Lot didn't get out because he was righteous. He got out because of God's mercy. And it was just Lot and his two daughters. And then the story gets weird from there. If you think the God of justice is just the God of the Old Testament, let's fast forward to 2 Corinthians. Because in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes these words in chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the judgment seat of the Father, But the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There it is, right there. God's justice is what is right. And, brothers and sisters, none of us are right. None of us are right. None of us do what is right. We all deserve God's justice in this sense. We all deserve God's justice. We all deserve a penalty that will be fair. And we can push back all we want and say, God, won't you do what's fair? Won't you do what's right? Won't you do what's just? And God says, yeah, I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Because your actions, your thoughts, your words, and mine are storing up for us justice. They are storing up for us justice. And every time we go against what is right, every time we go against God and what God says is right, whether it's greed or sexual sin or anything else, we're storing up for ourselves God's justice and His wrath. God will not find one person on earth who does right. Let that sink in for a minute. God will not find one person on earth who does right. And if you think that's you, then you need to read about Lot, who thought he was righteous, who offered his daughters to the mob. But there's one person who was right, and he is the hope of the world, and his name is Jesus, and he is fully God, and he is fully human, and because of that, he was uniquely able, brothers and sisters, to come into this world and to live a right life, to do what's right, to actually get it right. And look, read about him. Read about his life in the Gospels. and you will, It's gospel for a good reason. It's good news. It's good news because Jesus lived it, y'all. He lived it, and God made a way to take his life and place it on top of you by faith. So when you believe in him, you get all of his goodness. You get all of his righteous. And when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees Jesus. He sees the one who will judge covering over your life like a priest praying for you covering you so that when God looks at you he doesn't see the evil that you've done listen he doesn't see the evil that you've done but through faith in Jesus he sees what is right and so on that day God's gonna say good job Chelsea for doing justice in that day God's gonna say good job Isaiah for doing justice Good job, not because you did it, but because Jesus did it. And because by faith, he covers you. The world, brothers and sisters, is longing for justice. And this is it. Do what's right. Number two, do what's fair. Do what's fair. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. This is part of the the old Mosaic law. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. These are laws that are based on the one law of love. All right, And so God said, here's the law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A second law is love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's like 600 or so laws that flesh that out. All right, That flesh that out in the Old Testament. This is some of those laws. And it says this. It says, you shall do no injustice in court. And then it says this, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And so what's going on here is God is setting up a standard of fairness, a standard of fairness that defines what justice is. It's doing what's fair, what's impartial. It's treating the rich man and the poor man the same. It's fair. And I like to give the example of slicing the pie. Anybody like pie? Now look, y'all, y'all want to see a family fight. Put a pie out in front of the family and say, all right, y'all divide it up evenly. Do it fair. All right, now here's my trick. alright y'all, y'all take notes on this. Okay, this is good. You ready? I don't know where I got this from, but it's good. So. What I will say is I will, I will give one of the kids the job of slicing the pie. And I will say, but you have to choose the last piece. Now, I promise you, that pie, they will be out there with a measuring tape, getting that pie just right to make sure that that last piece is just as good as that first piece. That's justice. All right, that's doing what's fair. God wants His people to do what's fair. Have you ever heard the phrase "It's not what you know," but who you know?" And see, unfortunately, the world doesn't work this way. The world uh, operates on this principle of it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's who you are. it's who your family is, it's who. right? And is that justice? No, it's not. What that is, is is we call it the good old boy system. And a good old boy system is against justice. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He addresses this issue. Uh, Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, a barbecue, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors why lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid but when you give a feast invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind and you will be blessed says jesus because they cannot repay you but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the at the resurrection of the just wow You see what God's saying? God is saying do justice means do what's fair. What if you treated your poor neighbor like you treat your wealthy neighbor? What if you treated your black neighbor like you treat your white neighbor? And vice versa. You see, wealth is not just about money. Wealth is social. There's something called social. I was a political science major in college. All right, We learned about this. Uh, Wealth is social capital as well as Uh, material capital, financial capital. And we like to talk about social capital, uh, and we like to talk about it in our culture today, especially in terms of race. Now, race is not a real thing, okay? Let's Let's just put that out there. Race is a biological fiction. It's not real. We all are the same humanity. Your skin is darker than mine. Praise God right? And, 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 and it makes you know more of a human being than it does me. Race is a lie from the pit of hell, all right? Let me just go ahead and say that. Let me say it again. Race is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a biological fiction, but. <laughs> Y'all knew there was a but coming, right? But it is a sociological fact, Race is a sociological fact. And what does that mean? It means that in the world we live in, we believe this lie as cultures that it's real. Okay, we believe the lie, and therefore there are real consequences to it. Uh, Slavery, for example. (laughs) Uh, Education inequality, for example. The over-criminalization of Petty theft and crimes. Uh, White man gets caught with weed. Black man gets caught with weed. Are they treated equally? No, not historically, they're not. It doesn't mean they're not always treated equally. Sometimes they are, right? But not usually. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Race is a biological fiction, but it's a sociological fact. When I walk into McDonald's, I carry my social capital with me and I can tell that I get preference in treatment when I walk into McDonald's. I just do. I didn't ask for it, but I have literally seen a well-dressed black man, probably a professor at SC State, standing here. I walk in after him and they call me up to the front to take my order. That's little, unless you're that black man. God calls us to do justice. And that means doing what's fair. It means doing what's fair. And, 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 and for us, that means correcting imbalances. Okay, it means practically correcting imbalances to the degree that we can. And so when I'm standing in line at McDonald's, I say, no, this man was here first. I do that because I'm aware of what's happening. That's simple, but it's correcting an imbalance. All right, my family and I, we shop at black-owned businesses on purpose. My doctor is a black doctor. Why? Our our pharmacy is a black pharmacy. We try to eat in black businesses. We're hosting a big meeting here in a few weeks, and we're going to try to use a black-owned business for, for catering. Why? Because we're seeking to correct the imbalances that are in the world. Now should those imbalances be there? No. Should we have to say Black Lives Matter? No. We shouldn't have to say it. But the world we live in, the reality demands that as Christians we do justice. And that means doing what's fair. All right. number one, do justice means doing what's right. Right? And that means that we're all under the judgment of God and we need His forgiveness. Number two, it means doing what's fair. That means that we look for equity, that we seek what is right and just for everybody, regardless of who you are, where you come from. And thirdly, it means doing, y'all, this is awesome. This last one is so amazing, and this will rock your world if you get a hold of it, okay? It will. It's not only doing what's right, doing what's fair, but doing justice means doing what's generous. It means doing what's generous. It's not enough to simply be right and fair. It's not. It, justice demands something extra. Justice is extra, y'all. <laughs> justice is extra. It demands doing what's generous. Back in the 1900s, There was a Supreme Court case, Plessy versus Ferguson. And Plessy versus Ferguson said the 14th Amendment is fine and all, but when it comes to education, when it comes to other things in society, we can be equal, but what? Separate. Right? We could be equal, but separate. Now, Okay, maybe that was a good idea. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a good idea because what, because what happened? It was separate and unequal, right? It was separate and unjust. You see, it's not enough to just demand something be equal, but there needs to be generosity. There needs to be an overcoming of inequity. There needs to be a push to make things right and make things better, not for yourself, but for others. Let's turn back to the law in Leviticus. Y'all, y'all didn't know I was preaching on Leviticus, but this, this look, when I, when, whenever you try to read through the Bible, you like get through Genesis, you know. It's like, this is cool, lots of stories. Get through Exodus. The first half of Exodus is awesome. You know, there's plagues and water turning to blood and you know, people getting out of jail or out of, out of uh, slavery and moving to the prom. And then it gets kind of difficult, the second half of Exodus. And then Genesis, Exodus, and you hit Leviticus, you pretty much quit. <laughs> I mean, that's the end of Bible reading plans for millions of, millions of people around the world. Leviticus. But listen to what Leviticus says in chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. This is good. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land. So who's he talking to? Farmers, right? Wealthy landowners. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. That's the things that fall off the truck. Okay? You don't go back and pick that up. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that good? God built into His law generosity. And it's not optional for a believer. It's not like I get to choose to give to God. No, it's not optional. It's, it's required generosity. Is it still generosity if it's required generosity? Maybe not. Maybe you do it out of guilt. But the beauty of the gospel is that God gives us all His grace. And look, that transforms your heart, right? It changes you. And so that you're not giving out of a sense of obligation. Now you're giving because God gave so much to me. Man, God's been good to me, and I want to share with others. I want to build it into my budget to give to other people. And by God's grace, that's what He's calling you to do. You might say, Well, I don't have that much money okay. He's not asking you to give all of it. He's asking you to leave a gleaning. He's asking you to leave a tithe, maybe. Or plus. A tithe. The New Testament takes the tithe and says the tithe was great, but you can do more. That's, that's, you know, man, we talked about a graduated give. Gary and I had a conversation with uh, Paul and my dad about graduating, and I think Maybe you were part of that conversation too, uh, Joel, about graduated giving. So many good things to talk about. Now, we no longer live under these laws as a nation, okay? America is not going to tell you you have to give to the poor. America is not going to tell you, listen, America is not going to tell you that you can't maximize your profits. My dad worked for a corporation right here in Orangeburg for years and years, and he would often say that the bad decisions that were made were based on maximizing profit and not thinking about the welfare of the worker or the welfare of the people who are actually getting the product on the end. Is that, is that accurate? He's kind of nodding his head like, well, let me... <laughs> it's fairly accurate, right? Because when they, when they go after the profit, it's not generous. It's it's the sin of Sodom, really. It's the sin of Sodom, part of it, half of it, all right? Half of it. But God has called us, brothers and sisters, He's called us, the church, not to be a political nation, but to be a people who do justice. And not only in our individual lives, but collectively. Can you imagine? Man, that's why I want this church to grow, not because it makes me look good, but because I want to see God fill up this room. I mean, let's push the curtain back, right? I want to see God fill up this room with people who understand what it means to live justly, to do what's right, right? To, to live what's fair, right? To do what's generous, And so it's on you and it's on me to go out there and proclaim this message, to live this kind of life, to be a disciple who does justice in your life, individually and collectively, to seek ways to apply these principles of generosity, to live it out. John Perkins, um, who is a hero in the faith to many of us, he said this, we live out our call most fully when we are a community of faith with arms wrapped around a community of pain. Did, can you? I know it's way in the back, Jessica. Oh, she already pulled it up. She's on it. We live out our call most fully when we are a community of faith with arms wrapped around a community of pain. That's New City Fellowship. It better be. It better be. And yeah, we're in a pandemic, I know. But so is the community of pain. They're in a pandemic too. God's calling us to practice generous justice. Generous justice. Three thoughts as we leave on how can we do that quickly. The first one, there's three different ways we can practice generosity and generous justice. Here they are. Number one is what, what we would just call relief. Okay, relief. And that means that sometimes we need to directly meet a material need. Directly. No questions asked. Uh, you're drowning. I'm throwing you a life raft. You know? Um, and what that means is it could be legal, medical, financial, or some other resource that we can provide to someone. It doesn't always have to be money. It could, it could be in the form of a meal. It could be in the form of water after a hurricane comes through, right? But providing relief directly to people in need. That's one way that we can be generous. Uh, So build that into your life. Carry a 20 around with you for the express purpose of using it to provide relief to somebody who needs help. The second way we can practice generous justice is through what I like to call empowerment. Okay? Or development. Empowerment. I like that word, empowerment. Empowerment is helping a person, not by handing them something. You know the old adage, right? That it, it you can teach a man to, or you can give a man a fish, or you can teach a man to fish, and he'll eat for the rest of his life. Okay, that, that's true. That's good. That's empowerment. It's helping somebody, or a family, or a community to gain self-sufficiency so that they can overcome and prosper. And we have seen in our church so many examples of that, of God doing that in the lives of people in our community and even in our church, overcoming and prospering through empowerment, encouragement. That's one of the ways that we can practice generous justice. So relief, empowerment, and thirdly, this is the one that's hard, I think, for churches especially. But the third one is to practice what we will call activism. All right, and activism is confronting social structures that are causing injustice in the community, okay? So it's figuring out, and every community is different, right? In some communities, that means helping the police understand how to better police. And Orangeburg, I think, does okay on policing. I haven't heard, like, a lot of things about that, but we probably need to know more about that, Right? Some of you, I know some of you are more experts in this, and you know. But what are the social disadvantages in our community? And how can the church, as the body of Christ, who actually have the law of God and actually know what's right and know what's fair and know what's just and what's generous, how can we be engaged in confronting social structures that disadvantage certain groups? You know, Jesus wasn't afraid to do that. Some people think Jesus was lowly, meek, and mild, and he was. But he also called Herod a fox. And he also called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And he also came into the temple at least once and cleansed it of all the money changers who were ripping people off and distracting them from their purpose to worship God and pray. That's why we pray in our service because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. Relief, empowerment, activism. The world longs for justice. This is it. The world longs for justice. This is it. This is how you follow Jesus, brothers and sisters. You trust him. And look, this is not so that we get on God's good side. This is because we're on God's good side, right? God pours His grace. You, everybody in here, as far as I know, has received God's grace. And if you haven't, receive it today because it will transform your life. It will give you a new heart that doesn't just say, i got to do this stuff so I can be good with God. No, I do this stuff because I'm good with God. Don't, don't get it twisted, all right? Don't get it twisted We do this because we are good with God. Because of His grace. Because of Jesus who covers us. Amen? Amen. The world longs for justice. This is it. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He is the essence of justice. That in His life, He was fair. He was Good and righteous every way. And He was generous. He was so gracious. He gave His life for us. Willingly died. Took hell on the cross so that we could be freed from hell. He left heaven so that we could go to heaven. He gave up His comfort so that we could be comforted. God, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this little body would grow. I pray that this church would grow and that this year we would reach 500 new people. That we would reach 500 new people with the message of the good news that God's kingdom is coming into Orangeburg in new ways. It's been here for a long time, but it's coming in new ways. And God, we pray that you would call at least 12 people to become full members of our church this year. And Lord, we pray that we would see four people baptized this year to profess faith and to come into your kingdom visibly. Lord, we pray that you would give us an increase this year so that we might do justice love kindness and walk humbly with you lord do your will we submit to you in jesus name amen